This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This month on Decompliance Life, I visit with Valerie Charles. Valerie has one of the most interesting journeys to and from the CCO chair. After sitting in the CCO chair, she realized the need for an integrated tech solution for compliance, so she went to a tech startup, GAN Integrity. She then moved to consulting at StoneTurn. We conclude this month with Valerie Charles on the Compliance Life by looking at the CCO function in 2025 and beyond. I know you'll enjoy this month on the Compliance Life. In this concluding episode four, Valerie looks at 2025 and beyond for compliance. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and they'll be right back with Valerie Charles on The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our final uh, episode with Valerie Charles, this month's guest on The Compliance Life. Valerie, first of all, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, Valerie, on this episode, I wanted to maybe ask you to put on your uh, prognosticator hat, Karnak the Magnificent, or whatever hat you might have to to look at compliance down the road and the CCO position down the road. Uh, You've been in this field now for 10 plus years, and you've moved through a variety of, of, frankly, disparate careers that give you, I think, a unique perspective. So, uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, where do you see the chief compliance officer position in the corporate world? Well, I think the, the first thing to say somewhat clearly is that the role is going to become more important 
I mean, it already has. I think there was a time when compliance was the redheaded stepchild to legal. I think that time has passed. Um, I think, you know, people used to think about compliance just as just regulatory compliance, kind of, you know, hall monitoring, making sure that, I don't know, kind of ERISA or, or, or OSHA or something like that, you know, that's what, what would come to mind. And I'm not saying that those things are not important, but it's just part of a larger uh, movement, I think, to understand that, you know, compliance is very special in that it's, it's tied into legal, it's tied into HR, it's tied into finance. I mean, you can't do compliance without controls and controls, um, not, you know, well, at least the financial controls, um, often mean that mean that you have to work with the finance team or the controller. And I, I just think that this role, as we start to look at businesses more holistically, and as the government begins to expect businesses to know more about what's going on in the business outside of your particular silo and the particular corner of the world that you work in within the organization, you know, I think that the the compliance officer and the compliance function is going to be very well situated to kind of help lead that charge. Um, you know, I, I feel, I feel pretty strongly that, that this is happening kind of right before our eyes. I mean, the last five years I think has been a, a pretty big shift uh, for compliance people generally. Early, I've also heard you talk indeed throughout this podcast series, you've talked about your own evolution in the uh, valuation of data and the collection of data and the analysis of data and using data. Uh, and then in episode three, you talked about how you and your team and colleague at Stone Terms, colleagues at Stone Term, were able to put uh, disparate data to use in a way that might not have been immediately apparent. Do you see the use of data continuing to be an important part of the overall corporate compliance program? And, and if so, where do you see that going down the road? I think absolutely. I think that, you know, the concept of data, again, I mean, I've said this, I think, in another episode, but it's it, it's daunting for people who don't come from a background where you're sort of comfortable talking about data or thinking about data analytics. And, and what I like about my role, you know, I work at Stoneturn with a bunch of partners who are just incredibly smart. And, you know, the data analytics folks that I work with, um, you know, do things and think of things in, in ways that, that, that I can't. But what I can do is sort of be a conduit to the clients that I have and help people start to brainstorm and think about, you know, where, where does information sit that if I were utilizing it, if I were really leveraging all of the data sets that I have or could have access to that I maybe don't have access to today, but that if I went and asked for, I could have, you know, what are the possibilities? And it's fun. It's, it's a creative job and the data part of it and how to use the data you know, is an, is an incredibly creative exercise and it's, it's fun. I mean, I'm working with a couple of clients right now that are really doing some very innovative things that I, I think once we shake them out and really, you know, show the ROI from it, hopefully do some sort of a case study, you know, these will become things that become uh, attractive for other businesses and eventually will become the norm that everybody's doing. I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, it's, it's kind of like, there, there's always been this concept of the things that we do on the front end. You know, we do 
we do training, we do, um, we create policies, we create procedures, you know, those are kind of front end activities for compliance, you know, and then on the back end, we, we have controls and we, you know, test them sometimes and see how they're working. And, and that's kind of it, this front end, back end. But, but I think there's been missing the kind of larger picture of figuring out how do we look at, at, at data and how it's moving in real time? How do we give access to data sets um, for, for different functions through a, a lens that is relevant to each function? So you're not just kind of looking at, you know, financial data through a financial lens. You're looking at financial data through a compliance lens. It's relevant to you. And you can look at it at the same time that finance looks at it through their own lens and, and it's useful to them and it's all real time. That that sort of general concept, I think, very much changes um, how businesses are going to operate. And I think um, this holistic view, I mean, it, it's... It's regular. It's it's relevant for compliance. I also think it's relevant, you know, as we think more about, you know, ESG and and just in general, um, creating workplaces that are, you know, compliant with laws and regulations, but also, you know, kind of have the 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 whole package. You know, considering considering everything. You know, how does this affect the environment? How does this affect the the workplace culture? Um, I think compliance is going to be at the table as we continue to evolve as, a, you know, as, as the American business community continues to evolve. Valerie, where do you see the role of compliance in a corporate ESG effort, if any? You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, on LinkedIn, you know, you have your, your friends and mine who uh, argue, I think, a little bit about whether or not compliance ought to own ESG, you know, to me personally, the ESG concept is so broad. Like, should you have an ESG program? Yes. But is it, you know, is it something that you can create and stand alone? No. I mean, it, it necessarily has to be operationalized. It has to be um, a partnership that involves a, a lot of different business units and functions. And I think, I think compliance will have an important role. I think in some organizations, it will not make sense to have, you know, standalone uh, function for ESG. And I think in, in some of those instances, the compliance person um, probably will be able to take it on. I think in other organizations, you know, particularly organizations that have more complex um, environmental piece, you know, if there's, if there's a, you know, if you're, if you're really tracking uh, climate control and carbon emissions and, and a lot of these things, I, you know, I think that ESG probably does deserve its own C-level person at the table. And I think in larger organizations that we'll see that happening. Um, I think we're already seeing that happening with C-level sustainability officers, things like that. Um, but I think compliance will always be important to it um, regardless. I don't, I don't think I have an answer about whether or not I think it should report to compliance. In general, I think probably not. But I think in a lot of organizations, it will take quite a while. Um, and in the meantime, compliance is probably properly situated to, to handle it. Valerie, in, uh, throughout this podcast series, you've not only talked about uh, different types of discipline that you've, been, uh, you've worked with in the compliance function. You've certainly talked about data and getting a handle on that and becoming more comfortable with it. And you've talked about a project you did with a client where you looked at behavioral data, which was housed in HR. 
I was wondering if you might sort of conclude by uh, what are your thoughts are on what a corporate compliance function, what types of disciplines should they have in it in the future? So should it be a data scientist? Should it be a behavioral psychologist? Should it be uh, uh, some, someone else that not a lawyer, uh, perhaps didn't grow up in compliance and, and has a different background than someone like you, you or me? You know, I, I do not, I'm not in the camp of people who think that compliance leaders have to be data scientists. Um, I think good compliance leaders are going to be good business-minded people. And I think it's okay if you come from law, and I think it's okay if you don't come from law. Um, I I think even even if you take away the sort of data developments in compliance, compliance has always been about, you know, making, making decisions for the business on the whole, and then operationalizing those decisions, which necessarily involves partnering with the business, because we're not overhauling what people are doing. We're coming up with, you know, realistic ways to address risk in the organization by understanding what are, you know, what is the sales team doing today? What is realistic change to make in the right direction that that people are not going to buck, you know, people will actually do. Um, And sometimes it's inching it forward. You know, sometimes it's saying, okay, well, we're going to implement this change this year and see how that goes. And if we can get, you know, compliance with with what we're trying to do here, then we're going to try to move it an inch again next year. I, I think you have to be, you have to be able to play the long game. You have to be able to understand the business and, and human motivations. <laughs> um, and frankly, I, I do think there is a component of, of standing up and being a strong leader. Um, just like any, just like anybody who's working in any cost center in the business, you know, you do have to kind of fight for your function. And I think compliance is going to continue to have good, strong leaders um, who can think in, in multidisciplinary ways and work with a lot of different types of people. Um, the data aspect, you know, yes, the, the more dollars and headcount we can get for data people in compliance, in my opinion, it, you know, it's, it's power, right? Information is power and data is information. Data is power. I, I love it. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think it's going to turn into a job that is a, you know, th- that requires a data science degree. Uh, so, Valerie, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time. But before we conclude this fourth and final episode, I have a special bonus question for you, uh, which was uh, you said you were a dancer when you were growing up. And I was wondering if you could talk about, and I've seen some LinkedIn posts where you started to dip your toe back in uh, to the dance arena. So I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, dancing, what dancing brought you or gave you, uh, why you're dipping your toe back in now and, and maybe why you still have such an obvious passion for it. And for those not watching this podcast, which of course is everyone since it's an audio podcast, Valerie just had the biggest smile she's had in all four episodes when I brought up dancing. So it's obviously a passion. So talk to us a little bit about uh, Valerie the dancer. Well, I mean, I think, look, I think it's, it taught me maybe time management. I think, I think it taught me discipline. You know, I, I, I tend to be kind of a fly by the seat creative type in general. And, and I think, you know, studying, studying dance and studying ballet and knowing that, um, you can't, you can't skip, you know, you can't, 
there's no cutting corners, right? You can't start doing the big things before you do the small things. I mean, I, I think, I think really it, it defines very much. I think a lot, a lot of my personality and, and, uh, my kid has now just started um, ballet lessons as well. And it's kind of just a fun trip in time to, you know, be hanging out with a four-year-old taking ballet. Um, and, you know, I look, why am I back to it? I, I just feel, I guess, a little bit like, um, you know, you sp- I spent a lot of, I spent my 20s and 30s studying law and, you know, traveling and just being nuts in my career. And I'm still nuts in my career, but I, but I, feel like it was important a little bit to kind of get back to um, something that makes me feel really centered and kind of calm. And so that's, that's why I'm dipping my toe back in. But yeah, look, I love the arts. I mean, I don't think it has to be dance in particular. I think, um, I think we all benefit from, from kind of sinking into, into the arts in whatever way, you know, you feel compelled to do it. Well, Valerie, this has just been a a great time for me. I love doing this podcast. I get to sit down and have a virtual cup of coffee with somebody who gets to tell me their story. I've heard parts of your story over the years, but I've never heard it uh, in the way we've uh, found out about it in these four podcast episodes. So I really wanted to thank you uh, for taking the time to share your story with me about uh, your journey in compliance. Well, it was a lot of fun for me too, Tom. And um, yeah, I really, I appreciate the... um the invitation. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.